are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. Good morning again. Uh, If you're new with us in the worship center this morning or uh, online, my name is Lee and uh, it's good to have you uh, today. One way you connect with us is to go to heightschurch.org slash connect. We'd love to get to know you there uh, a little bit more as well. So if you've got a Bible with you today, I invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 2 or maybe you've got an app on your phone that you can uh, click open right now. Let's go to Joshua chapter 2 and uh, there in your house if you're watching the broadcast encourage you to go uh, to Joshua chapter 2 as well. You know, with everything happening, as Matt mentioned earlier, in our, our country, um, all the things that we are seeing, all the, the tensions um, uh, with all, not only just COVID-19, uh, but also with the death of George Floyd and all the riots and, and tensions that have, have been brought back up within our country. Um, as I was thinking about those things this week and praying, uh, there is a prayer that came to my mind, and it comes from Second Thessalonians chapter 3 in verse 1, when Paul says, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. And that's what Paul prayed. Pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. There's a question I want to ask you this morning. Who does God use to push the gospel along? Who does God use to speed the gospel along? You know, as people that might claim to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of their lives, if we are ones who say, like the video did, uh, that we have an answer and the answer, and that answer is Jesus, and Jesus can change lives, and Jesus can transform people, are we people then that are urgent about getting that message out to people? Are we like Paul? We want to see the gospel speed ahead. We want it to go unhindered. We want it to change lives. Or are we people that are more passionate and urgent about our safety, our comforts, maintaining our traditions? What are we more urgent about as believers in Jesus Christ? More and more people hearing the gospel or just maintaining what we want to maintain in our comfortable lives? Who does God use to speed the gospel along? You know, we're in a series called Strong and Courageous. And in chapter 1, God gave the people of Israel a mission. He said, you have to cross over the Jordan River and possess the land that I have promised to your forefathers. He said in verses 8 and 9, you have to be strong and courageous because that's going to be a hard mission. There's going to be victories along the way, but there's also going to be setbacks. There's going to be defeats. You know, if we think of uh, ourselves this morning in our church as the, as the people of God, we say we have a mission. Our mission is to make disciples. Our mission is to get the gospel out to people. The way we express that mission here is we say we desire to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. But guess what? We have to be strong and courageous in that. There's going to be setbacks along the way. There's going to be victories, but there's going to be hard times in that mission as well. But who does God use to move the gospel along. 
When you come into chapter 2, very early in the chapter, right there in verse 1, we see that spies have been sent into Jericho. Um, Joshua has said, okay, Jericho is our first big stop on our way to the promised land. This is a very strong city, powerful city, fortified city. Uh, We need a game plan. So I'm going to send two spies into Jericho to spy out the land. These spies then meet Rahab. And very early in the text, we see Rahab's profession. She's a prostitute. They come to Rahab's house, or maybe your translation may say inn. An inn in those days kind of functioned in a lot of ways like an Old West saloon. You could get a drink there, a a meal there, maybe stay the night there, or meet a lady by the name of Rahab there. Who does God use to push the gospel along? When Rahab meets these spies, they let her know what they're there to do. Rahab hides them because very quickly the king hears of the spies coming into the land. It's always fascinating to me to see even back then how fast news traveled without the ability to text or post on Facebook or pick up a phone and call. Word got to the king. Spies are in the land from the people of Israel. The king then sends out the secret police, he sends out the Gestapo, he sends out the KGB, he sends out his troops looking for these spies. They come to Rahab's house. Rahab, have you seen the spies? We know there are spies in the land and we're pretty sure they visited you. Rahab says, yes, they did. They stopped by, but they're not here any longer. You just missed them. They they got about a, a 10 minute head start. And I tell you, if you, if you go that way really quickly, uh, before the city gates shut, you know, it's getting night, it's getting late, the gates are about to shut. But if you hurry, you'll be able to get them. You'll catch up to them. They only got about a 10-minute head start. Go. So the Gestapo, the secret police, the KGB, the king's troops, they had that way. The way Rahab told them. It's fascinating to me that the first act of faith that we see of Rahab is a lie. I mean, isn't that ironic? The first act of faith that Rahab displays is a lie. It's her defying her government, her thumbing the nose at the king, her hiding these spies. Now, I know there's a lot of ethical questions that you might already be thinking, well, wait a minute, is that okay? I mean, the Bible says a lie is a, you know, a sin. Is that, is that okay? And maybe you could put it even in a modern day context and, and what happened in World War II in Germany and so many people hiding Jews from the, from the Nazis. Was that okay? I'm going to let those ethical tensions be with you today and let you sit with them. Now, if you want to talk with me further about it, it'll just cost you a Dr. Pepper, Okay. And then you and I can sit down over a Dr. Pepper and we can unpack it. But the author of the text doesn't spend time there. And so we're going to move the story along as well. Because what you see out of Rahab next is really fascinating. You see the confession of Rahab. And if you got your Bible open, the words will be on the screen there at home. Look in chapter 2, verse 8 with me. And let's read on down to verse 14 as we look at Rahab's confession. Picking up in verse 8, she says, Before the men lay down... She came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Shion and Og whom devoted 
to destruction. Look in verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens and above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. Verse 13 says that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell the business of ours, when the Lord has given us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Who does God use to speed the gospel along? You know, in this confession, you see Rahab really making some very interesting declarations. The first declaration that Rahab says is that she has heard about the Lord. I mean, you stop and think about this. This is a Gentile Canaanite woman. Word of Lord and his actions of what he did in the Red Sea has come to Rahab and her people. Verse 10, verse 11 identifies that phrase. We have heard of the Lord. We have heard of his actions. How did they hear? Well, we need to remember how they heard was because someone told them. You know, there's plenty of ways to do ministry, but at the end of the day, in order for someone to come to faith in Christ, they need to hear of Christ. And the best way that they can hear of Christ is you and I verbally sharing Christ with someone. I mean, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, verse 14. How will they call on him in whom uh, they've not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear with someone, without someone preaching or teaching or telling them, your translation may say? She's heard of the word of the Lord. She's heard of God and his actions because someone has told her. But notice in verse 11, her confession She's confessing that God is the one true God. You see in verse 11, she uses the term Lord. Now, when you come to the Old Testament, there's two ways that Lord is spelled. There's sometimes capital L, lowercase r, or excuse me, lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d. And then there's the way that it's spelled here in the text, all caps. When you see the word Lord in all caps, that means Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. And so Rahab is invoking the personal name of God. She's saying that I believe in the Lord, Yahweh. Your God is my God. I believe in that one true God, Yahweh, the Lord. Now, it's an incredible confession because this is a Canaanite woman. This would be a culture and a people that worship many gods. And Rahab's saying, no, I'm worshiping the Lord with you. The one true God. But then notice what else she says at the end of verse 11. In her confession, she says, Because the Lord your God, he's God in the heavens and above and on the earth beneath. Rahab there is recognizing the rule of God. She's saying this Yahweh that I believe, that you believe in, he rules over all. He rules the heavens. He rules the sea. He rules over all of the earth. Again, remember, these are Canaanite people. These are people that would have many different gods. And and in some religions, they have many various gods. Well, the reason that many of them have various gods is because they don't recognize one of those gods as the all-powerful God. They may be regional gods. Or maybe they're gods with limited power. Okay, this God rules the skies. 
This God rules the sea. This God rules the land. But Rahab's saying, no, this Yahweh, he rules over all. He is the God of the heavens, and he is the God of the sea, and he is the God of the earth. He's the one God. And it's interesting that that confession that Rahab uses up to this point in the Bible has only been spoken of three times. Listen to those three instances. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4, when God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments, he says this, You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or is that under the water, under the earth? Deuteronomy 4.39, Know therefore today and lay to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Deuteronomy 5.8, You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth. Rahab is confessing the one personal true God who rules over all. Now, I don't believe that Rahab's doing that really to, to save her own skin or to save her family. I mean, I, I believe Rahab really truly knows and worships God. And you see that there's a deal that struck, the text would tell us, between these spies and Rahab. And they say, okay, Rahab, listen, if you don't put on Facebook and you don't tell anybody else the plan, when we come back to conquest the city, we'll, we'll save you. And here's what you need to do. You need to just lower a scarlet rope outside of your window. And when we come back, we'll rescue you out. We'll have a specialized team that will take you and your family and you will be safe. And the deal is made. Who does God use to push the gospel along? Why is Rahab important? Because in chapter 3 next week, we're going to look at the people crossing over the Jordan River. So why from chapter 1 do you get the command to go, and in chapter 3 they go, but in chapter 2 we meet this Canaanite Gentile prostitute? Why is that important? What does Rahab on a larger scale teach us? Because Rahab appears in the Bible elsewhere in a couple other places. So why is she important? Well, I believe she's important, number one, for this reason. Rahab reminds us that whoever comes to God in faith in Christ Jesus can be saved. That's what Rahab reminds us of, that God can save anyone, that no one is outside the bounds of the salvation of Jesus Christ. That when you come to faith in Christ and you place your faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, you're saved. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter the color of your skin, no matter the language you speak, when you come to faith in Christ, the Bible says you're saved. I love Romans 10, 13. It's one of my favorite verses. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone can be saved when they come to Christ. And that's what Rahab reminds us, that no one is outside the bounds of salvation in Jesus. Rahab reminds us that when we come to faith in Christ, not only are we saved from something, we are saved from judgment, we are saved from hell, but Rahab reminds us that we are saved for something. 
We are saved for God. We are saved for life for him. We are saved to live for God. We're saved from hell and we're saved to live for the Lord. I don't know about you, but I may be the only one that struggles with this in here. And I'm sure Rahab probably had a struggle with it as well. I don't know about you, but there are times Satan comes and visits me in temptation. And and, and maybe it's just me and Rahab in here, or maybe the online audience, you don't struggle with it either. But how many of us this morning does Satan come to every so often and go, I know what you did. I know who you were. I know at times what you still do. There's no way God forgave you. There's no way God would forgive someone like you. Now, maybe that's just me and Rahab this morning. And maybe you don't have that struggle. But I would imagine with some folks watching at home, I would imagine with some of you, you're like me. There's times guilt builds up. Shame of a past builds up. Shame of what you did, shame of what you said comes back to haunt you. And here's what I have to do when Satan comes calling that way. I'm sure this is what Rahab did, and and this is what you can do. When Satan comes and makes that visit and says, there's no way you're saved, you're a hypocrite. Look at all the things you did. Look at all the times you sinned. Look at all the times you didn't love someone right. And Satan reminds you repeatedly of all the failures. And guilt begins to build. Here's what you can do. You look right at Satan and say this. That's who I once was. But that's not who I am. I once was that. I once did that. But now I'm a child of the king. Now because of Jesus, I'm a son or a daughter of God. I belong to him, not the old me. Because I'm sure Rahab had that struggle. Satan reminded her of all her days of prostitution. And she stood and said, no. Now I'm a daughter of the king. I belong to Yahweh, the one true God. Rahab reminds us that no one is outside the bounds of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Rahab reminds us also, number two, of what God requires from us all. Of what God requires from us all. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's a fascinating chapter. It's about faith. If you've never read Hebrews chapter 11, go home later and and read that. It's it's about what faith is and what faith looks like and what faith does. And and in Hebrews 11, what you're going to see is a lot of names and actions. And you kind of, the author of Hebrews takes you through the Old Testament and, and some of what we would call the giants of the Bible. And so many people have nicknamed Hebrews 11 the Hall of Fame of Faith, right? You know, you have the Baseball Hall of Fame, the NFL Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame. You know, there's a weightlifting Hall of Fame. Did you know that? We, where we lived in Pennsylvania, in York, Pennsylvania, you know, the, 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 the weights, York, there's a weightlifting Hall of Fame. I don't know why I just told you that, but now you've got it. And if you're watching Jeopardy one night and competing against your wife and she forgets the answer, you're going to thank me later. Just another Dr. Pepper. That's all I require, right? But you come in Hebrews 11, and in verse 30, you read this. 
By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab? I thought this was the hall of fame of faith. But yet there's a Gentile prostitute woman? By faith, Rahab? The prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. God requires faith. The faith just like Rahab. Finally, Rahab reminds us of this. The people that God uses to push the gospel along are people like Rahab, people like you, people like me. You know, Rahab appears in one other section of the New Testament that's just absolutely fascinating when you stop and think about it. It's in Matthew chapter 1. Now, in Matthew chapter 1, what you have is a, is a list of names. It's a genealogy list from, uh, of Jesus' genealogy. And what Matthew's doing is he's, he's writing to a Jewish audience. And so he starts off that gospel letter with the list of the genealogy to say to his Jewish audience, No, this Jesus, he is the one. He is the Messiah. He's the one who has the rightful uh, ability to rule and reign from the throne of David. So let me just show you his genealogy and proof of that, Matthew says. But when you come in verse 5 and you start reading the names, listen to what it says. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. You read in the genealogy of Jesus, Rahab. Rahab goes on and marries Salmon. They have a son by the name of Boaz. Later in life, Boaz is going to show up to work to one of the fields that he owns. He's going to call one of his supervisors over and say, give me a report. How's the morning going? And as they're standing there looking out on the field, Boaz goes, whoa, hang on one second. Who's that lady? Who is she? And that supervisor will look at Boaz and say, well, she came in last night with Naomi. You remember Naomi? Yeah, I remember Naomi, but who's she? Well, that's her daughter-in-law. Her name's Ruth. See, her, her husband died. She's a Gentile. She's a Moabite woman. She's an immigrant. She doesn't have a place to stay. She doesn't have any food. And so I let her just kind of glean in the field. And I can see it in my mind. I don't know if you can, but Boaz locks eyes with Ruth. And when he looks at this Gentile Moabite woman, he remembers the stories of his mom. He remembers that his mom was once a Gentile who now belongs in God's family. He probably remembers the story of what his mom used to do in life. And remembers how God showed mercy on him. And how the Jewish people showed mercy on her. And Boaz says, I want to talk to that Ruth. And later a love affair is started. They marry. And they have a children. His name's Obed. Who then has a son named Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David. And they're in the lineage of not only the greatest king in the Jewish history do you have Rahab, but you have Rahab 
in the lineage of the Savior, Jesus. Who does God use to move the gospel along? Who does he use to speed the gospel along? See, we would automatically this morning, I'm sure when I I asked you that question earlier, you might have thought of people. You might have thought, okay, well, Moses and and Abraham and David and Sarah and Rebecca and Mary and Peter and Paul and, and all these heroes of the Bible. These are people that God uses, the, the kings and the wealthy and the powerful and the intelligent. But it's often in the Bible you see the no-named people that God used. In the New Testament, There's an unnamed Roman centurion that Jesus meets who says he has more faith than anybody in Israel. There's a Syrian Phoenician woman who begs for just a little bit of Jesus's power that Jesus said had more faith than anyone in the temple. As Caroline mentioned earlier in her message, it was a boy who late one day after Jesus had been teaching to a crowd of more than 5,000 people and the disciples forgot all the food. And Jesus says, we can't send them all away hungry. Some won't make it home. There's this boy who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I got a sack lunch I didn't eat. It's two fish and five loaves, which really translates out to two sardines and five saltine crackers. Jesus, you can have my sack lunch if that helps at all. And Jesus takes those two sardines and five saltine crackers and does one of the greatest miracles of all time, feeding more than 5,000 people. See, we need to remember this morning that big doors swing on little hinges. Big doors swing on little hinges. Who does God use to move the gospel along? God uses folks like me. God uses folks like you. God uses folks like Rahab. It's not always the powerful. It's not always the wealthy. It's not always the most educated. It's just people. And so our mission here at Heights aligns with what Paul says. We want to pray that the gospel speed ahead and be honored. How are you going to play a part in that? How are you going to help speed the gospel along? Maybe it's inviting somebody to church or it's having a gospel conversation with someone. What a gospel conversation is, you get a chance to pray with them, talk to them about the Lord and invite them to a service. If you're new with us here, we have what we call a four by four plan where you find four people who don't believe in Jesus. You pray for them four times a week. You invite them to four parties a year, times where you're together with them and it's all for Christ. You can do that to help speed the gospel along. You plug into a ministry. You become a part of a local church where you say, yes, I want to see more and more people come to know Christ by faith. Who does God use to push the gospel along? He uses people like you and me and like Rahab. That's why Rahab matters. I'm going to invite you this morning to, by faith, make a decision. And maybe that decision by faith is to come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. You just say, you know what? I don't know Jesus yet, but I'm ready right now to know him by faith. You can do that today. Say, I just want to place my faith and trust in him. 
Maybe you have not gone public with your faith in baptism. Little Roy gave you an example of that today. And maybe today by faith you say, you know what, I know I'm a believer in Jesus, but I have not done what Little Roy did. And I'm ready to go public by faith in baptism. Maybe today it's just to pray, God use me to push the gospel along. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is I'm going to invite you to stand just right where you are. Our praise team is going to be coming as you're, going, as you're standing. We're going to sing a final song here at the end this morning. And I know many of us are used to two songs at the end, but we've adjusted that to one song at the end here. And I'm going to invite you to come while we sing. Down front is going to be a deacon and their wives, and I'm going to be right here uh, down front. We're going to put our mask on in case uh, you want to come and, and, and talk and pray. We'll be happy to pray for you if there's a burden you might have or, or a prayer request you might have. We'll be ready to meet you down front during that song. If you need to talk a little further and, and they can slip out in the hallway with you and, and talk deeper and have a, a better conversation with you, you feel free to do that as well. But as we stand, as we sing, I I just want you to make this song a prayer. God, take my life and let it be. Let it be for your glory. Let it be to help speed the gospel along. Let's sing. As the music starts, you come and pray. You can pray at the steps by yourself if you want to do that as well. So you respond in the way that the Lord's calling you to this morning.